Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Chloe. Thank you, Andy. Thank you, Lizzie. Thank you, Ben. Thank you, everybody. Good evening. Uh, particularly welcome to anyone here for the first time. My name's Jonathan G. I'm the vicar here, and you are extremely welcome. We are three weeks after Easter. We're celebrating the risen Jesus, and the passage of scripture we have tonight is one of the encounters of Jesus with his disciples in that period after the resurrection before he ascended to heaven. Uh, it's known as the Great Commission as Jesus gives his charge to the church, what they are to do. Uh, and it's kind of a new season for us as a church and for our nation, indeed the world, as we sort of emerge from this pandemic. It's lovely to have the sun shining and summer coming. It's nice to have the restrictions lifted. Uh, we're kind of entering into this post-pandemic era. But as a church, we're also becoming a Dalson Mission Hub. We've got a new associate vicar, Eleanor, joining us in a month or so's time. Um, we're not quite sure what it's all going to look like. Jesus is the head of the church and he will lead us. We'll follow step by step. But I thought it would do us good for a couple of weeks to come right back to this great commission. So this week and next week, we're looking at this passage from the end of Matthew's gospel, uh, known as the great commission. Let's pray as I speak now that God will speak to us as a church and as individuals. Lord Jesus, we bow in your presence We've sung of your majesty and your greatness. We've declared it in the words of the creed. We praise you that you are sitting at the right hand of the Father. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us this evening, we pray, as we think about your great commission to your church. And we pray you'd help us to know what this means for us individually, what the next step is, and for us as a church family here at St. Paul's. We long to be in step with your leading. So this week and next week as we think about these great words of Jesus, speak to us, we pray, and we ask it in his name. Amen. Uh, I don't know if you're drivers and what you think about the price of petrol these days, but it's going up. It's more expensive business getting around the country. Now just imagine <coughs> you uh, had a friend who decided he really didn't want to spend that much on petrol. So he decided instead of filling his car with petrol, he's going to fill it three quarters of the way full, and then top it up with water, so it's a bit cheaper. And, um, so, and he thought that would save him money, that would, that would be a really good way to go. Now, I don't know if you've ever tried to do that to your car. I've never tried to do it in mine. I have put unleaded in a diesel once. That didn't go very well. Um, my wife was driving it when it stopped, which really didn't go very well. <laughs> that was my fault. Uh, but the car is meant to run on petrol. And if you think it's going to go better just because the cost of the, the petrol is a bit high to fill it out with water. You've got another thing coming. You, by all means, try it. Do the experiment if you like. I don't recommend it, but if you don't believe me, see, it, see how it goes. You will all have had different things that haven't worked, and quite often they haven't worked, so we haven't followed the maker's instructions. Now, church works best 
when we follow the maker's instructions and particularly when it comes to the Great Commission. The Great Commission is very challenging and the church in the West has done the equivalent of trying to water down the petrol. Thinking, this is a bit costly. We think we can do better than Jesus. We'll just make it a bit easier. Uh, and we think church will be more attractive. That will be less costly. And of course, church has declined. Churches are growing all around the world and in this nation where people take what Jesus said seriously. And when we try and water it down, it doesn't work so well. And what we're going to hear tonight is quite challenging from Jesus, but it's also hugely releasing. He knows this is how we work best. Uh, the best petrol to put in our car is Jesus' commands and his words and trying to do it in the strength of his spirit. Uh, Dallas Willard was a great Christian uh, writer and lecturer and speaker, died a few years ago. His books are pretty substantial and they're quite hard work, but he was a mentor of John Ortberg, who wrote more accessible books, and John Ortberg is a mentor of John Mark Comer, who writes really accessible books. Uh, and I've been jotting down all the John Mark Comer stuff, and just this week I went back to my Dallas Willard, and I found all the stuff I'd highlighted in Dallas Willard, ah, that's where it's coming from. It's all, uh, but it's quite, it's, it's really substantial, take Jesus seriously. One of the books Dallas Willard wrote is called The Great Omission. And its, its thesis is that the church has not taken the great commission seriously. We've omitted it. Uh, we've paid lip service to it. So I am sure that as a church at St. Paul's, if we take the great commission seriously, it will be costly, uh, but it will be the way the church works because it's Jesus' design. Uh, so let's just read it again. Let's read verses 18 to 20 at the end of Matthew 8, 28. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Uh, I was rereading my Dallas Willard this week, and I jotted this down. He said, What the church really needs is not more money better buildings or programs, more education or more prestige. Christ's gathered people, the church, has always been at its best when it had little or none of these. All it needs to fulfill Christ's purposes on earth is the quality of life he makes real in the life of his disciples. And if we don't take the discipleship seriously and put all our energy into all the other things, it doesn't go as well. Now, we need buildings, particularly in this country where it's either raining or cold. We need, we need buildings. We need money to pay for things. But the most important thing we need is God's people bowing the knee to Jesus, Lord, filled with his spirit, trying to do what he told us to do. Uh, in this Great Commission, there are four alls. And originally, I was hoping to spend four weeks uh, there and take one week on each all. The way it's worked, I'm going to take these two weeks, two alls this week and two alls next week. Uh, the four alls are these ones. If we put up the verses again, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Uh, we're going to focus on that one tonight. Then go and make disciples of all nations, literally all people groups. So there's plenty of people groups here in Leamington and Warwick, and we are to make disciples of them just as much as those who come from uh, English culture. Uh, we long for the time when people of all different people groups in the area are represented in this church family, representing God's worldwide church. 
So there's all authority, there's all nations, make them disciples, teach them to obey. It says everything here, but literally in the Greek, it's all the things I have commanded you. And we'll be thinking about the things that Jesus has commanded us. And surely I'm with you always, literally all the days. So that same word all comes up. All authority, go to all people groups, teach them to obey all the things I commanded you, and I will be with you always. Uh, We'll focus on two of those tonight. And tonight I want to focus more on the being disciples, bowing the knee to Jesus as our Lord. All authority is his and learning to obey all the things he's taught us to do. That's what being a disciple is. If we are disciples, we'll then be more effective in making disciples. Obviously, if we're not really being disciples of Jesus ourselves, we've got no chance of making others. So next week, we'll focus on the making others disciples, this week on the being disciples. Uh, So that's where we're going. All authority, first of all, then. Now, this has been a really big theme for Matthew through his gospel, as it is in Mark and Luke, who follow uh, a similar theme. Let me show you a a few highlights from Matthew, uh, based in chapter 7, 8, 9. So, Matthew 7, 28 and 29, these are the words that come right at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has spent three chapters teaching about what it is to be part of his kingdom. Uh, And when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority, not as their teachers of the law. And indeed, not as every other religious teacher in the history of the world. All the great religious teachers have said, that's the way, follow it. And Jesus said, as it says in the bricks over my head, I am the way, come to me. He has the authority. And when he taught, they recognized that authority. Uh, In the next chapter, Matthew gives some examples of this. So Matthew 8, we read the story of a centurion, a Roman centurion coming to Jesus. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I don't deserve to have you come under my roof. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed, and he said to those following him, truly I tell you, I've not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. And verse 13, it says, Jesus said to the centurion, go, let it be done just as you believed it would, and his servant was healed at that moment. This Roman centurion recognized Jesus' authority. He got authority. He's part of the Roman army. If he's told to do something, he did it. If he told others to do it, he expected them to do it. And he recognized in Jesus an authority that was different. He called him Lord. said, you just say the word, and I believe it will be done. And that is the sort of faith in Jesus' authority that Jesus is looking for. He's looking for us to trust him at his word. And and the centurion's a great example of it. Uh, We then have later in Matthew 8 the story of the storm that um, Andy started the service with. Let me read this to you. Jesus got into the boat. His disciples followed him. Suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake, so the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. He replied, you have little faith. Why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, 
what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. And that is the question that you find in the early chapters of the Gospels. Mark is very explicit about this. Who is this? This authority. He's got authority over sickness. He's healed this centurion's son. He's got authority over storms. He's got authority over uh, demons and he casts them out. His teaching has authority. He calls people to follow him and they come. Extraordinary authority, even over death, we find, as he raises a little girl, Jairus' daughter, and a widow's son from Nain, and Lazarus later. Who is this? What authority does he have? Where does it come from? Chapter 9 of Matthew, you find the same question. I'm not going to go through every chapter, don't worry, of the, of the book. But chapter 9, same sort of idea of focusing on Jesus' authority. Jesus steps into a boat. He was always stepping into a boat uh, on Galilee, backwards and forwards, crossed over and came to his own town. Some men brought him a paralyzed man lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, this fellow is blaspheming. Obviously, only God can forgive sins. Sins against God. So if Jesus is claiming it, he's kind of claiming to be God. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, get up, take your mat and go home. The man got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe and they praised God who had given such authority to man. So you can see that throughout Matthew's gospel, and we've probably seen enough, this who is this? What authority does he have? Has been one of the themes that Matthew's building to. Uh, as it gets near to Jesus' crucifixion, we find the authorities of the day asking Jesus the same question. I love this one from Matthew 21. Jesus entered the temple courts. While he was teaching, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him. By what authority are you doing these things, they asked. Who gave you this authority? Jesus replied, I'll ask you a question. If you answer me, I'll tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. So John's baptism, the baptism of John the Baptist, where did it come from? Was it from heaven or of human origin? They discussed it among themselves and said, if we say from heaven, he will ask, why didn't you believe him? If we say it's of human origin, well, we're afraid of the people. They will hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we don't know. He said, neither will I tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. I love this with Jesus. He can sidestep trouble if he wants to. Uh, when it's time to confront it, he does. But they were recognizing there was an authority and they weren't quite sure what it was all about. Matthew is sure. And at the end of the gospel, let's put up the verses again, Matthew 28, 18. All authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. He is the Lord of lords, the King of kings. We worship him today. But the way the church in the West has responded to this, uh, and if you've heard me preach on this before, you'll know exactly what I'm about to say, because I always say this when I'm preaching on this passage. You would think that Jesus had not given the great commission, but the great suggestion. You would think he had said, some authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So a few of you might like to go and make converts of some people, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to pay lip service to some of the things I told you about. And maybe I'll be with a few of you some of the time. That seems to be the way that the church in the West has taken it. Listening to what Jesus said, but not really doing it. It is the great commission, not the great suggestion. 
He has the authority. He's my Lord. He's our Lord. We do what he says. Uh, The glorious thing about this is that as we do this, we come into the fullness of life he promised. Uh, Many of you will know my story as a teenager. I was kind of torn two ways, the way of Jesus one way, the way of the world the other way. And it was a fairly miserable time inwardly, as sort of a half-hearted Christian not living it out. And when I went up to university, an older Christian said to me, Jonathan, do you believe this is true? And I said, yes, I do. He said, well, why don't you start living like it? You've got a fresh start as you start as a student. Why don't you bow the knee to Jesus as Lord? And I thought that made a lot of sense to me, so I did. I thought it was just going to be hard work, but it was right. And I was blown away by the joy that came in. You don't experience any joy when you're torn two ways. I experienced what C.S. Lewis had got at when he wrote his autobiography, Surprised by Joy. It was really surprising that following Jesus' way that looks like it's going to be so costly is the way to joy. And when you bow the knee to him as your Lord, the first thing he does is forgive your sins. He fills you with his Holy Spirit. He adopts you into his family. So we can call his Father God our Father. It's the Christian family prayer. Jesus has this authority to forgive sins. He has authority to judge on the last day. He is the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Uh, at the end, uh, Thomas, the, the apostle, Thomas the disciple, when he met the risen Lord, bowed before him and said, my Lord and my God. And Jesus accepted it. He didn't say, don't be silly, Thomas, up you get. He is the Lord of Lords. He has all authority. And one day he will return. And then every knee will bow. And every tongue confess that he is Lord. But before then, we have the choice to do that freely ourselves. And to become his disciples. Now, a disciple of Jesus literally means a learner. The best modern translation, I think, is an apprentice of Jesus. Now, if you think of an old-fashioned apprentice, a young person would apprentice to an older person to learn how to do a job and the sort of values associated with the job. It was a lifestyle thing, not just a technical thing. Uh, Apprenticing to Jesus is a whole life thing. You will never learn to follow Jesus properly on an hour a week. It's a whole life thing. That's why we gather together. It's why we encourage each other to read the scriptures on our own day by day. It's why we meet in small groups and prayer triplets to help each other to live this out. Uh, Jesus calls us to be his disciples, his learners. And he promises joy, as I've talked about, as Andy started the service with peace, even in the midst of the storms of life. Uh, But he never promises that life will be easy. That's the one thing he didn't promise. Uh, He said there'd be inner rest, but he said in this world you will have trouble. Uh, I've never been able to pin down the origin of this quote, but someone years ago Uh, said Jesus promised his followers three things. They would be absurdly happy, completely fearless, and in constant trouble. And when you read the Acts of the Apostles, that's what you see. And in our safety-conscious Western church, we are so concerned to be safe that we don't risk following Jesus, what he told us to do. And so we miss out on the joy, and we're not really in trouble anyway. Now, wouldn't it be wonderful if God filled us afresh with his spirit and we really started following Jesus as Lord and doing what he said and knew that joy 
we would be in more trouble. There's no doubt about that. But it would be so much more exciting. Now, I see a new era for us as St. Paul's. I really don't know what it's going to look like. We're going to follow the Lord into this, where he is inviting us to be a mission hub, to go and help others make disciples, not just here but elsewhere. That means we need to get better at ourselves, we'll learn from others, we'll share our resources, and we hopefully will see more of the kingdom come in the area. How on earth is that going to happen? Well, it will happen as we bow the knee to him as Lord, as we recognize that all authority is his. As he fills us with his Holy Spirit, we'll never do it in our own strength. So as we approach Pentecost, we're having a real emphasis on fresh filling with the Spirit. Wonderful to have Paul and Becky joining us in a couple of weeks, who lead New Wine on the Saturday for other churches. On the Sunday morning, uh, they can't stay for the evening, but the morning they'll be here. Uh, We'll be praying in the evenings as well for fresh filling of the Spirit. But that's not enough. We need to learn to do all the things that Jesus told us. So this is the second all for tonight. The first all is all authority. The second all, if we um, put up the verses again, Matthew 28, 18 to 20, um, go and make disciples of all nations. Yeah, that's right. Next slide. You got it quite, Daniel, you're ahead of me. Teach them to obey everything, all the things I have commanded you. If we're going to make disciples, we've got to be disciples. And to be a disciple of Jesus is to learn <coughs> to obey all the things he's commanded us. And this takes a lifetime. Uh, this is a very challenging, demanding thing. I thought I'd just um, highlight some of the things Jesus commanded us to do. I'm not doing this to make us all feel guilty. because <laughs> None of us are that great at doing all these things. But we're all getting better. We're learning. We want to help each other to do this. It's more just to remind us, this is what it is to follow Jesus. Uh, So I picked a few from Matthew, because we're in his gospel, but a few from the other gospels as well. First of all, Matthew 23, 34 to 40. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, some translations, all your strength. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets, all the teaching of the Old Testament hangs on these two commandments. So the first thing Jesus says is love God with everything you've got. Put him first. Then secondly, love everybody else. Love your neighbor as yourself. And the everybody else in Jesus' teaching, he broke down a bit. Uh, love other Christians, love one another. Uh, in the upper room, John chapter 13, verses 34 to 35. A new command I give you, love one another. Uh, as I've loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, this is not a gooey, mushy love. This is a very practical, self-sacrificial love that Jesus modeled. He'd just washed his disciples' feet. And just a few verses earlier, he'd said this, John 13, from verse 12. When he'd finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes, returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and that's right, that's what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Truly, no servant is greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Uh, Now you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. 
I'm always hesitant, I say, to preach about foot washing because normally when I do, in the week that follows, I get presented with a really menial, practical thing to do. I have to clear up sick somewhere or something like that. And If I'm going to preach about this, the Lord usually challenges me, well, let's see whether you're going to do it, sort of thing. So I'm always a little bit nervous, but the practical loving one another is doing the menial, practical things to serve one another. It's a test of our love for Jesus, our love for one another. Uh, but we don't just love each other, we're to love our enemies, Matthew 5, 43 to 46. You've heard it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Jesus says, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That way, you'll be children of your heavenly Father. We are to forgive others, Matthew 6, 14 and 15. If you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you don't forgive others their sins, your Father won't forgive your sins. It's in the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our sins as we forgive others. We're to give generously. Uh, just pick Luke's version of this, Luke 6, 37 and 38. Jesus says, do not judge and you won't be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. We give and it's given to us. We forgive and we're forgiven. But these are really costly things to do. And we think we can water it down a bit. But then it, the car doesn't go. It doesn't work. This is what Jesus said. Obey all the things I've told you. It includes love, practical love, giving, forgiving. But as we do that, as we put into practice what Jesus told us, we dig really good foundations for our lives. Do you remember the story Jesus told about the two builders, the wise and the foolish, built the house on the rock and the sand? Let's just read that one, Matthew 7 from 24. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against their house, but it didn't fall because it had its foundation on rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a fool who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house. It fell with a great crash. Jesus says, listening to him and not doing it is foolish. Listening to him and doing it is what digs these strong foundations. So when the storms of life came, come, we stand. Now, the pandemic has been a huge stress test for all of us. How are we really doing? That has, it has been, a, we've lived through a storm and we're still, the, <clears throat> the aftermath is still going on. It's been quite a good stress test to see, well, how are we doing in our relationship with the Lord? How are we doing as a church? Some things quite well, other things not so good. Uh, it's obeying Jesus is what digs these foundations. It's a measure of how much we love Jesus he said in John 14 from verse 21, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father. I'll love them and show myself to them. God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit is a relationship of love. And when we do what Jesus says, we read that Jesus, that the love of God comes and lives within us. We get caught up into it. And if we love him, we'll do what he says. If we don't do what he says, then we can't really say we love him. But doing what he says is the way to joy. John 15, 10 to 11. If you keep my commands, if you obey what I've told you, 
you will remain in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this, that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. So I'm not reading all these things to try and beat you up or to make myself feel guilty. What we want is to know Jesus' joy. And that comes as we do what he said. So from time to time, I find when the joy goes, I ask myself the question, what am I not obeying that Jesus has told me to do? And it may be for one or two of you tonight, that would be a really good question. The joy comes as we do what Jesus says. And it's costly. You can try and water it down like the petrol in the tank and the car won't go so well. There's no joy there. We pay the cost of doing what Jesus said and we find all his promises come true. And it is costly. Perhaps most famously, Matthew 16, 24 to 26, Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Now, 2,000 years ago, when the Romans crucified lots of people, everybody knew what that looked like. You saw someone carrying their cross, they were going to die. And Jesus says, if you want to be his disciple, we die to ourselves. Baptism is the picture of that. Someone goes down into the water, dying to themselves. And is united with Jesus, they rise to a new life. Wonderful. Uh, but it's that death to ourself. And it costs. We don't like it. Uh, it's difficult. Jesus never said it would be easy. Matthew 7, 13 to 14. Uh, there's a narrow gate. Enter through the narrow gate. He said, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. Many find it. Uh, the whole world seems to be heading away from God on this broad road that can take whatever beliefs and practices anybody wants. It's wide enough for all of that, but it leads to destruction. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. You can't get through there with your sin. You can only get through one at a time as you bow the knee to Jesus as Lord. It's a narrow road. It's difficult, but it's so worthwhile uh, and it leads to eternal life. Uh, now, all of this takes a lifetime to live out. Uh, I really don't want you to beat yourselves up. That's what the devil tries to do. He tries to condemn us and say, gosh, you're rubbish at that, 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 and that, and we want to give up. The Holy Spirit tends to convict us. He'll point out, that's the next thing to work on, and then that's the next thing to work on. Uh, so it's just over 40 years ago that I bowed the knee to Jesus as Lord as an undergraduate, 41 this year. Um, and it's been a lifelong journey and there's a long way to go. In that sense, it's a bit like marriage. Juliet and I got married 33 years ago. Uh, and there's one day on which we got married. But every day since then is a choice of whether I'm going to love and serve or not. So it's similar. When we choose to follow Jesus, that's the day we start, we might become a Christian, be baptised. But every day from then on is a choice to take up our cross and follow him. Uh, and it gets easier to follow Jesus. The outward things may get tougher, but inwardly it gets easier to follow him. Uh, when my parents got married, uh, an older Christian said to my dad, Colin, he said, um, the first 25 years, they're the worst. After that, it gets easier. 
which is which setting the bar really low. Uh, I'm sure we'd have a, a better vision of marriage than that. But having been married 33 years, I think that's fair. It's, um, it gets better. And having been a Christian for 40 years, it gets better. And it's a lifelong thing. And actually marriage is a picture of Jesus and the church. Uh, now there's lots that's wonderful about marriage and there's lots that's difficult. There's lots that's wonderful about being Christian. But no one pretends it's easy. It's about bowing the knee to Jesus as Lord, learning to obey what he said, and then we get his life, and then we can share his life. Uh, but trying to do it uh, without that won't work. I think I've talked for long enough. My throat's beginning to go. So, band, would you come back ready to lead us in some worship? Let's stand. We're going to pray. We'll have a bit of quiet. Uh, we really want to pray that the Lord would help us know what's the one next step for us in all of this.